This morning, just simply to open the Word and read. Uh, I haven't done that for a while. And the Word of God opened up to the third chapter of Luke's Gospel. Luke, the third chapter. Beginning with the first verse. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea, and of the regions of Trachonitis, and Lysanias the tetrarch of Abilene, Annas and Caiaphas being the high priests, the word of God came unto John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of the prophet Isaiah, sorry, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. And every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered, saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will freely perch his floor and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable. And many other things in his exhortation preached he unto the people. But Herod the Tetrarch, being reproved by him for Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, and for all the evils which Herod had done, added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, <clears throat> and the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven, which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. I'd like to conclude reading with the 22nd verse. Let's kneel for prayer today.
Dear Father, we thank you for this opportunity, and we thank you that, that we are permitted in this land to do that by the government. And dear Father, we know that this isn't just their power and their permission. It is by thy good power and thy permission that we are permitted to worship freedom again. We also know that persecution does is promised to the faithful, to those who call upon the name. So we don't take this opportunity for granted. We wish to thank thee for it and to pray for strength and for diligence to prepare for the time when this will be taken away from us. Dear Father, we pray for those that couldn't gather with us this morning and some that have not been able to gather many months with us. Dear Father, those, those that um, maybe at this moment are realizing maybe the effect, the toll that this has taken on them and on their spiritual life, not being able to, to gather with us um, or being isolated from other people throughout the week and maybe um, having fears maybe mount or struggles. Dear Father, thou knowest all of these things completely in each one of our lives. So we bring them to you. We lay them down before thee now. We confess we are unable to solve our problems. We come to a God who does. We answer his prayer. A God who is faithful. A God who has redeemed and will redeem. Dear Father, we pray this. We pray for those that are in foreign countries, those that are struggling this morning hour with uh, proclaiming the word, are hindered actively by their governments, that are suppressed, that are not able to worship openly. Be with them, dear Father. Help them to know that they are following the paths of the faithful, of the prophets of all those that have suffered for their name, and they're following the path of Jesus Christ, who laid down his life. Dear Father, we pray for the word as it goes out this morning. The word of the New Testament. The word that was first proclaimed by that forerunner, John the Baptist. That repentance is, is, is proclaimed now. The remission of sins. Forgiveness is open. Is here through Jesus Christ. This is the glorious word of that New Testament. Written in the blood of Jesus Christ. That we have the privilege, the opportunity to proclaim this morning hour. Give us boldness, dear Father. Give us awareness of our own weaknesses so that we may depend more clearly on thee and the power and the, the efficacy of this word may be from thee, not from our flesh. Dear Father, we thank thee for this opportunity. We pray for the brother that is to proclaim the word. We pray for his needs too. We pray for the needs of each one of us, dear Father, as a body that those draw us together, meld us more perfectly into that union um, that comes supernaturally through Jesus Christ as the head of each one of these members. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Luke, in his particularly meticulous manner records for us a number of data points here. Verifiable information. He doesn't begin this account of, Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ like so many fairy tales a long time ago in a kingdom far, far away. This is an account rooted in history. Even the way that he records it gives veracity, truth, there's a mark of truth. He says the high priests 
being Annas and Caiaphas. Any Jewish person would know there was only supposed to be one high priest. Many priests, but only one high priest, and yet two are reported. For those that are interested in history, you can look to his pages to see what he means by two high priests. But he focuses on a man about whom the world's history outside of the Bible, at least to my knowledge, is totally silent. He simply was known as John. John, the son of Zacharias, the Baptist. The one in the wilderness. It's interesting to me how the Lord works. He found no place in the temple, though he was of the priestly line, remember? John was the son of the priest. But he went into the wilderness. I don't know how it was that people heard about this man and came to hear what he had to say. But his message is recorded for us. And I believe that we need his message again today. He was in the wilderness. Apart from the world. Have you ever thought about that? What is this world? Oh, we're in the middle of a big city. We're surrounded by other people. But what is this, the world that, that, that the, the Bible continually warns us about? Have you ever stopped to think about that? When I was young, my father would sometimes say to me what his parents told him when I wanted to do something that was maybe questionable. He just simply said what his mother told him, which was, children of believing parents don't do this. There was a line of demarcation between what the believers did and what the world did. So again, what is the world? I heard a definition of it just this past week, and it, it stuck with me. And as I thought about it, I, I think it really is true. The world is any, and we're not talking about creation, of course, right? There's a difference. When young people went up north to go camping, they didn't go into the world. They went into creation. So here's the definition I heard. The world is any human society that is organized outside of the will of God. I gave you pause. When I hear something like that, like a definition really is a distillation of meaning. You know, if you ask, if I was to simply ask that question, what is the world in terms of the way the Bible talks about it, you know, we would talk for quite a while and, and, and um, uh, you know, there would be different things, but a definition, like when you look up something in a dictionary, it's, it's distilled down, it's condensed to hopefully in as few words as possible so that you get the kernel of the meaning. And this definition did that for me as I thought about it. Any human society organized outside of the will of God. 
Human society can be as small as two people, right? Two people in a relationship that is illicit, that is forbidden by God's word. That's the world. Two people getting together to do something that is outside of the will of God. That's the world. That's the world we're speaking of. Uh, and, that, and that John separated himself from. Separation from the world in and of itself is never enough. There have been those that tried that. I think it was Simon Scalise, something like that, who sat on top of a whatever it was, a 30-foot and then a 60-foot pole for years. Skylights, that's it. Skylights, thank you. <laughs> Thank you. His effort to distance himself from the world was to simply separate himself from all society. And yet the Bible refers to the church as the called out ones, the assembly, the ecclesia. So this is obviously not the world when we gather together. See, when we separate from the world, we need to be joined to something else. There's no limbo state between the two. To seek that is foolishness. You must be joined to something. And John, even though he was alone in the wilderness, was definitely joined to something greater. And so people left the world, human society, to hear what this man of God, who was joined to God, said. Think about that for a moment. This wild man out in the desert eating locusts. I don't know how many of you have seen some of the news footage out of Africa, the plagues of locusts that they've had there because of some of the, um, the excess rain that happened earlier in the year, and these huge plagues of locusts. They talk about these plagues eating as much as the city of Paris does in 24 hours, and just devastating crop lands. That was his food. I'm repulsed just by looking at these things on the screen flying around. But to eat them. This was an extreme man. But there was something about this man that was attractive. He had a message from another world. There was the whole high priestly tradition. Uh, world history tells us that the temple in, uh, on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem was one of the wonders of the ancient world. A, a city, a, 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 a a building of, of such beauty that people would travel uh, miles just to see it. And yet, the fire of the living God was not there, in spite of the fact that sacrifices were offered continuously on the altar. John's message was a simple one. Preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. At face value, this may seem like works-based salvation. Don't we talk about grace? But there can be no, uh, no remission of sins without repentance. It's impossible. Do you remember the account of the young man who 
took his inheritance early and went into a far country? The father was waiting for that son to return home, to welcome him home. But until that son came to himself, the father's daily trip, maybe to the brow of the hill, to look into the distance to see if his son was coming home was useless. It wasn't until he came to himself. And so John preaches repentance, a rethinking of your life, a recalibration of your life. Today, where have you thrown in your lot? With the world? The society of those organized? Outside of the will of God? Or those maybe in the wilderness like John? Separated to God? That decision is for each one to evaluate. But until you realize you need to rethink your life, nothing more that I say or that anyone can say really will make any difference. Notice what has to happen. John says, and this is quoting uh, Isaiah, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. I like the way that the prophet Isaiah records that for us. It puts us all on an equal footing. Those that think too much of themselves must be brought low. Those who have an improper view of themselves and think themselves worthless or less than worthless must be brought up. There must be an understanding that in order for the Lord to come to you, you must realize The way must be prepared in a way that you must realize that you matter enough that God sent His Son for you. And that if you think too highly of yourself, don't overlook that gift because on your own you have no room to stand. John obviously did not read Dale Carnegie's book how to win friends and influence people. He said to those that went to the trouble of coming to hear him, O generation of vipers, offspring of serpents. That's what it means, generation of vipers. Now, what was he really saying there? You see, the world, are, uh, in Scripture, there are four terms that are given uh, about Satan and about his influence. They are the serpent, that's the first one in scripture, Satan, the devil, and the world. 
Those are, those are the, the, the four sources of danger to our lives. And they each have different characterizations. We won't go into that now. But let's think for a moment about what John is saying here. Because it touches on the first identity of Satan, the serpent. What characterized him? What characterized that serpent in the garden? Subtlety. Right? A smooth answer. A wily way. Not an outright attack. But using uh, flattery, lies. Now, we only have John's words recorded here. We don't know exactly what the, the Pharisees and the scribes said to John, or what they were doing, but their motive was not straightforward. They were showing that their motives and their, their, um, their reason for there were as crooked as that snake. The warning was given to them, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, this making of, of rough places smooth and crooked places straight, if you don't do that, God will one day do it for you. One day everything will be judged and straightened out, and everyone will be able to say it was done fairly. You know, I have, as you all know, a number of small children. And of course, fairness is always really, really important. So the rule is if the one child divides, the other one gets to choose. And of course, then they're sort of pecking order based on ages. And let me tell you, it's pretty hard with seven kids to make sure everyone feels that it's fair. But one day, we will all say that what God has done is fair and right. That he has judged and, and uh, passed sentence on every work in a way that is totally 100% fair. No one will be able to accuse him of any wrongdoing. But you don't want to wait for that day to have things straightened out for you. That's dangerous. And that's dangerous both for the believer and for the unbeliever. For the one who uh, does not acknowledge God and for the one that does. Christ himself warned us, if we do not forgive, we will not be forgiven. Watch out. Repentance is not something that happens once and then is forgotten about. Repentance is an is a ongoing process. And as we repent more and be, become more conscious of our, of our failures, of our mistakes, and of what God has taught us, He, he calibrates our, 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 our conscience and our mind in a, in, a, in a finer and finer way. And we become conscious of mistakes that we have made that we maybe were not conscious of in the past. Our thought life becomes so much more important when we realize that out of the heart proceeds all wickedness. And we stop maybe focusing as much on our actions, not that our actions are not important, but we realize that the well from which those actions come, that's the thing that needs to be cleaned. That's where I have to watch. That's where I can afford to slip the least in my heart. 
Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourself, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. I think we often underestimate the power of God. In older times, I believe the saints of God were much more conscious of the power of God and His effect on the world around us. Because we understand some of the mechanisms of science, we think we understand the world. And yet we're told in Scripture that by all that all things consist by Him. If God was to remove His hand from His creation, the whole thing would collapse into nothingness. Some of the hymn writers have done a beautiful job of explaining that in poetry. They talk about that day when the clouds would be rolled back as a scroll. What a thought. Stones that could be turned just as easily as that into the children of Abraham, faithful believers. What was the point of that analogy? Don't think of yourself higher than you ought to think. God is able to work in all sorts of ways that you do not understand. His warning goes to us as well. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Over the last number of months, I've come across a podcast series that's been very, very interesting. It's called The Anabaptist Perspective, and it's a young man uh, from uh, Pennsylvania, I believe. And uh, he does these series of interviews where he goes around and talks to different, um, primarily Mennonite scholars and missions workers and all sorts of different people and gets these different perspectives. Really interesting. And there was a two-part series that I just recently listened to about a month ago talking about the effects of the fundamentalist movement on the Anabaptists. Both a few of the positive things, but many of the negative things that they inherited from that movement. And the older gentleman who was a scholar, he said, I think we lost our way. Instead of looking back to our heritage and learning from it, we appropriated from another group, and in doing this, we lost our identity and we lost our way. We took on outward forms and forgot the inward power. I see the saying also applying to denominations. Jesus says later on in Revelation that unless you repent, I will come quickly and take your candle out of your place. Are we bringing forth fruit in any meaningful way? Or are we just taking up space? As a denomination now I'm speaking. I certainly believe, and I'm sure you, you, 
you know this about me, that I believe that our forefathers were on the right track. They preached the word in much the same way that John the Baptist did and suffered for it as he was later put into prison. But have we forgotten the lessons that they learned? Have we forgotten the inner life that they possessed? I'm not interested in recreating the old country over here. That's not the point. The point is, what was that inner life that allowed brothers and sisters to endure so much for a faith in an invisible God? And of course this isn't true just for us. I'm not saying we cannot learn of others. But what we have been taught, we are in danger of forgetting. And we also need to repent. We need to realize that church is much more than cultural tradition and the building. It is those who have been called out into the wilderness by God, apart from society organized against the will of God. And I don't mean a literal wilderness, truly understand what I mean. It's interesting. These men that came to hear John the Baptist, when John the Baptist preached, you know, I'm a big fan of Rabbi Zacharias, since since passed on, and his apologetics ministry and, and the fruit of that. But John the Baptist was so different. He didn't offer any explanations. He simply preached, and preached in a confrontational way and expected a response. And the response from those that heard him was not proven to me. It was what must I do? How does this meet my life right here and now? If Christianity becomes only a head knowledge exercise, we're lost. Because that's never been where the, where the power of the cross is. That's never been where the power of the gospel is in the mind. The power of the gospel comes in changed lives. What must I do? John didn't shy away from that question. He didn't say, well, it's not really about what you can do. You know, really it's about the grace of God. And you've got to just let him do his perfect work in you. And, and well, he'll meet you where you're at. There was no ambivalence in his message or wishy-washiness. What did he say? The publicans, the hated tax collectors, that were Jews that sided with the Romans, he said to them, exact no more than that which is appointed you. What does that mean? Practically, what does that mean? These men were skimming, the publicans. They gave Romans portion and took a little extra for themselves. And wherever there was a chance to take a little bit more, they grabbed a little bit more. Why do you think the Bible has so much to say about money? It's because where our treasure is, there will our heart be also. And one of the easiest ways to see where your treasure really is, is by what you do with your earthly treasure. 
That's why big data would like to know what your shopping habits are. That's why big data wants to know where you go and what you look at. Where is your heart? If the Lord was to take our screen time summary and put it in front of us and we had to do an accounting with him, if we sat down with him and said, well, you know, I spent so many time, so much time on this website, but really it was just about the news. Would God say to us, okay, now that you know that, what did you do with that information? Was it just to satisfy your voyeurism? To see the latest news clip or the latest bit of data? Or did it spur you on to speak to others about the Lord? The soldiers likewise demanded him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said, Do violence to no man. We know that Christ taught us that violence begins in the heart. And though we may take even pride in our non-resistant position as a denomination, pointing to the correct scriptures and to a history of forefathers who suffered for the faith because they would not take weapons, What sort of attitudes come up when we get shoved? When someone cuts us off on the road? When someone treats us in a way that we think is disrespectful? Do we have violent thoughts? Not actions. Actions are actually relatively easy to control. You know, you, some people say, I can't control my temper. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true at all. You just need the right circumstances to control your temper. I once heard an analogy that went a bit like this. Suppose a, an overworked mother is at home with a bunch of rowdy children, and she's just finished lacing into them because they've misbehaved and maybe broken something, and then the doorbell rings. And standing outside the door is her husband's boss, maybe come to check in on her. And suddenly she's all smiles, and everything's wonderful. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Isn't that the same way with us, though? When we say we can't control our actions, it just requires the right set of circumstances, and then we can control no problem. Actions are relatively easy to control. What's your heart? Your heart. You know, this pandemic has shove people, push people in a lot of uncomfortable ways, and we see what comes out. We see the way people react in stores. We say, see the way people react to being forced to wear masks or not to wear masks. I'm no fan of masks. But what comes out from the heart shows up in the actions. It's easy to cut off the actions of the, with the right uh, uh, circumstance, but the heart that's much harder to control. Do violence no man neither accuse any falsely and be content with your wages? Contentment, isn't that something that we often struggle with? Just a little bit more, then I would be content. If just this was taken care of, then I would be content. 
Contentment is always somewhere off in the future, isn't it? But scripture tells us godliness with contentment is great gain. Is, present tense, great gain. We're to live with contentment right now. We don't have time to go into the later portion of the chapter, and I wish we did. Because here, we see the answer to our problems. The heart that needs to be changed, the heart that's so difficult to know and to control. Like I said at the beginning, it's not enough to be separated from something, you must be joined to something. And if you will be separated from the world, you must be joined to God. And the way that God has designed that is for himself to take up residence in your heart. The only way the evil can be removed is for it to be displaced, for it to be pushed out. But that's something also that we have something to do with. Scripture tells us later, quench not the spirit. We have a control over that valve, if you will. We can choke him off so that his displacing effects in our life are not felt. Brother and sister, isn't that really the source of all our problems? On one hand, we turn off the influence of the Holy Spirit in our life and try to do it under our own power. And we struggle, and we fail, and we fall, and we struggle when the solution is there given to us. Much like that boss standing at the front door that creates an instant change. The Holy Spirit can have the same effect on us. He changes everything. When he fills a person's heart, the greedy tax collector becomes a son of Abraham. When he fills a heart, the man whose uh, vocation is organized around killing other men or soldiers become gentle. To the point where in the Roman army in the first century, there were soldiers in the Roman army who chose voluntary death over denying their Lord and his command to them. That's the effect of this Holy Spirit of God. The Lord not what it was like. This morning now, as we were as we read the scripture and then contemplated the message of John the Baptist. And brought home again to me this figure in the wilderness who, as it was said, did no, no great miracles, did no miracles, and yet people flocked to him. And he was such a, a different character. And really, the core of his message was prepare. Prepare for one who's coming after him. And so, the word that you've heard this morning, my friend, is a one of preparation, one of a call to prepare. You will never be able to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. You will never be able to see Him as your Savior unless your heart is prepared. Unless you really realize the wrong that you are doing, the wrong that you have done. 
I think once we start to address those things in our lives that are not right, then we realize how much we need a Savior. When we start to realize that it is really hard to give my other cloak or to give what I have to someone in need, uh, I, I have to stop thinking of myself. I have to stop thinking, that I have to stop going on this way of life that is all about me. Then you realize I need a Savior to save me from myself. And He is willing to save me. May the word we've heard this morning uh, shake us uh, as John the Baptist did. That was a strong message. I, I think maybe people went out initially, some out of curiosity, but when some people came back and said, this man he talks totally differently, he, he says things totally differently than, than what we've been hearing, that's what attracted other people. It wasn't just out of curiosity. It was a, a message that shook people to their core and offered them at the same time hope. That's my prayer this morning as we've heard that message of the gospel as it goes out. May the Lord bless this word and may he keep us in his grace until we again.